about the name of our Lord, and that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. So Psalm chapter 8. Psalms chapter 8. Now you do have to pay attention because I only gave you some of the notes. too lazy to print out the whole thing. But anyway, Psalms chapter 8. Verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength, ordained strength because of thine enemies that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet." All sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege that we have to meet together tonight. Thank you for uh, your blessings and how you provide, and thank you for the opportunity we have to open thy precious word. Lord, I pray tonight as we look in the word of God that we'd be encouraged and challenged and strengthened in our walk with you. Help us to realize the God in which we serve, the Lord Jehovah, the Almighty One, and the one who can meet our every need. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, what's a name? What's a name? Uh, it can be a mark as a sign or a stigma. Think about it. If I say Ronald Reagan, what comes to your mind? Usually good thoughts, right? How about Joseph Stalin? No, you have a stigma. So that's what a name is. It's something that affects. Uh, and a good name, of course, is to be rather the chosen, the great riches, Proverbs tells us. And here in our passage, uh, there are some truths that we want to see about the, the, the names of God. It says, the, O Lord, our Lord, uses that in verse 1 and also in verse 9. And of course, if you notice, notice, pay careful attention to, the word first Lord is all caps. The second Lord is not. So it's different, referring to different names of God. Uh, of course, the all caps refers to the name Jehovah, and the one, the second name there, Lord, refers to Adonai, where we get the definition is master. But as we think about this psalm, uh, there are three, somebody said, quote, there are three wonderful and important truths about man found in this psalm when these truths are denied or neglected, man is never, man never is what God made him to be. And so, I titled this message, Made for the Glory of God. Man is made for the glory of God. And I want to notice three things, and there are three names in the Old Testament, two of them used here and other made reference to, uh, 
three different names of God in the Old Testament. The first one is, and, and these are simple uh, points, God made man. First of all, God made man. Secondly, God made something man something glorious. And the third one is a uh, point that I have tonight. Of course, there's subpoints, but uh, God made man for a high and worthy destiny. But first of all, God made man. As we think about creation, uh, when the Bible uses the word God in the creative act, it, the, the name there, Hebrew name is Elohim. Uh, and it means he is the one who made me. Or me, or well, I'm sorry. It refers to the one who who made us. Uh, the word Elohim though means faithful or strong one. It's it's used 30 times in the book of Genesis, uh, 2,500 to 70 times in the Old Testament, uh, Old Testament, in reference to God as Creator. The name is also used in a uniplural. That is, it can be used either singular or plural. For example. In Genesis chapter 1, in verse 26, it says, And God, God said, Let us make man in our image. So there it's plural. In verse 27, it says, He made man. There it's singular. But it's the same name, Elohim, the, as the idea of creator. Uh, so, so he is the faithful, strong one, the God who made everything. And of course, the the, the Bible says here in verse 3, When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? So it is God, Elohim, the faithful, the strong one, who made everything. He made it out of nothing. Uh, and, of course, you, know, you go over the New Testament, and, and we see again the plurality, if you will, of God in the Trinity, uh, in 2 Corinthians 13, 14, for example, the Bible says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. So we can say we're in the Father's hand. We have the Son of God as our advocate. 1 John 1, or 2, 1 tells us that. And then we have the Spirit of God who seals us and indwells us and bears witness with us. And so you know, we think about that. You know, we have the Godhead uh, involved in the, the work of our salvation, the faithful, strong one. No wonder Jude says we're preserved in Jesus Christ and called. You know, we're in the Father's hand. And so it is God that made man. But secondly, I want you to notice that God made man something glorious. And that's really the issue here tonight. And, and then also uh, uh, our destiny. But God made man something glorious. Notice verses 4 and 5. It says, What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. This speaks of a relationship. The word Lord is all caps in verse 1 and verse 9. is of course, the name Jehovah. It indicates a special, this special relationship that we have with Almighty God. You know, the, the, there are seven titles, and this is what you have in your notes, seven Jehovah titles in the Bible which relate to man and our redemption. And they show the Lord meeting every need of man. God meets every need of man. Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. That's what that Jehovah Jireh means. It's found in Genesis 22. In verses 13 and 14, you remember when, when the Lord commanded 
uh, Abraham to take Isaac, his son, and offer him, and they're on their way to the mountain, and Isaac says, Father, we have the wood, we have the fire, but where's the sacrifice? And remember in verse 8, Abraham said to Isaac, the Lord will provide himself a sacrifice. And in verses 13 and 14, it says, And Abraham said, My son, uh, 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 and Abraham lifted up his eyes, verse 13, looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, In the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. So you have here the Lord providing a sacrifice. The Lord making provision for Abraham and for Isaac, his son. And, of course, the Lord has made provision for us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. John 1.29, next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Or 1 John 2.2, which says, He is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So God provided for us a sacrifice, a substitute. And so Jehovah-Jireh, God provides for us. Uh, And again, it it has to do with our relationship and our redemption in him. The second name that he gives us in the Bible is Jehovah-Rapha, and that means the Lord that healeth. It's a name of preservation. In Exodus 15, 26, he says, and said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and wilt do that which is right in his sight, will give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord. Notice again that word Lord is capitalized, all caps, that healeth thee. So the Lord said, I'm going to keep all the diseases that I brought upon Egypt from thee. You know, even modern medicine has followed a lot of the principles that God gave Moses of hygiene. You know, back in the, I'm trying to remember, I think it was in the 18th century, um, one, one of the doctors who was worked in a, in a uh, maternity ward, you know, there, I, I forget what it was, there was like uh, over half of the women were dying at childbirth. And the problem was, that was causing it was simply poor hygiene. Poor medical hygiene. Doctors were not washing themselves before examining these women that had given birth, and so they'd get infected and die. And uh, this doctor brought in, he read this, and he, and he instituted some, some practices that greatly uh, affected the situation, but the medical profession at that time thought he was just a quack and, and rejected his, his ideas. And, uh, but now, you know, they've been enlightened. Uh, but it is the Lord. It's, it's the name of the Lord of Hela, the name of preservation. You know, Peter says in 1 Peter 2.24, Who his own self bear our sins as his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. You know, a lot of people try to self-reform themselves. But can man really self-reform himself? Oh, to a certain extent. But he can never reform himself to the place where he pleases God or satisfies the righteousness of God. He needs God to intervene for him. And uh, so, again, uh, we are only healed through the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Then thirdly, Jehovah Nissi, which means the Lord our banner. This is the name of victory. In Exodus 17, 15, and 16, it says Moses built an altar. He called the name of it Jehovah Nissi, for he said, because the Lord has sworn the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Now go to Romans chapter 7. Now Amalek in the Bible is a type of the flesh. And uh, you notice he said he's going to have war with Amalek from generation to generation. And throughout Israel's history, they had war with Amalek. And we still do. It's our flesh. But we can have the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 7, verse 24 says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, O Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the spirit, or after the flesh, but after the spirit. Uh, and then drop down to verse 10, it says, And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. You know, the Bible talks about in 1 John, there's some interesting verses that can be a little hard to understand, but 1 John 3, 9 says this, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Now, taking that those that verse by itself one could say if you're saved you will not sin but comparing that with the reps of scripture we have a problem don't we with that interpretation but if you read the whole context he's talking about a practice a continuous action so he's not saying that we do not sin but that we do not live a life of sin you know, the Spirit of God is an ever-abiding presence in us that bears witness to the truth so that we will not continue in sin. And Christ lives in us by faith. As, as Romans says here, the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus, verse 11, from the dead dwell in you. That, you know, he's a continual uh, indwelling Spirit of God. Dwell in you. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken. He gives life to your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. So we can have, we can overcome sin. We're not bound to live by sin or uh, uh, continually. No, we can have victory over it. And the person who's saved is not going to continue their whole life. Elizabeth Taylor, supposedly they say, she, she, she tried to say she was Christian, you know, not the fact that she was divorced and remarried seven times. Her life totally negated what she said. You see, and, and John's talking about a practice. You see, you and I can have victory. It's, it's a constant battle. That's what Paul's saying here. It's a battle. Who, who's going to deliver me from the body of this death? But we can have victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And he is that, that Jehovah Nissa who gives us victory. 
Then fourthly, there's Jehovah Shalom. And again, these are all names of Jehovah. The Lord our peace. And again, it's the name of peace. In Judges chapter 6, for example, in verses 23 and 24, it says, And the Lord said unto him, Peace be unto thee. Fear not, thou shalt not die. This was a pre-incarnation appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ to Gideon. Then Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord and called it Jehovah Shalom. Of course, Shalom means peace. Unto this day it is yet in Ophrah, Ophrah of the bees' rights. And of course, Ephesians 2.14 says, For he is our peace, who hath made both one, hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having lost in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for making himself of twain one new man, so making peace. So Christ not only made peace with us, with, with God, but he also has made peace between Jew and Gentile. Remember, we said Sunday night that the Gentile had no access to God. He couldn't go to the, into the temple. He couldn't go into the, to, to the holy place. Like, you know, uh, or couldn't go to the priest as the Jews did. Because that was off limits to him. But Christ brought an end to all that. And now we both have access to the Father through our Lord Jesus Christ. So he is our peace. He is our peace. Then fifthly, Jehovah Ra'ah, the Lord is my shepherd. It's the name of guidance. Of course, Psalm 23, we all know, verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 3 and 4, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being ensamples to the flock. Talking about guidance here. When the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. So we can have the wisdom and direction of God for our life. He is our shepherd. He's our guide. And then number six, Jehovah Sidkenu. Uh, I guess that's how you say that. The Lord, our righteousness the name of imputed righteousness, Jeremiah 23, 6 says, In his days Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely, and this is his name whereby he shall be called, the Lord our righteousness. For 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who know no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So it's the name of imputed righteousness. God has given us his righteousness. It's, we've been made righteous. Uh, being therefore justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we have his righteousness. And then Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. It's a name of personal presence. Uh, it was it, uh, Ezekiel 48, 35. It was round about 18,000 measures. And the name of the city from that day shall be, the Lord is there. And of course, a, a, a verse in New Testament, Revelation 21, 3 says, And I heard a great voice, had a heavy saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. You know, we will not only one day live in the very presence of God, and that's what this is referring to, a personal presence, but we can have the presence of God with us, even now. Much like the children of Israel in the wilderness. You know, so we, we are talking about a real relationship where we have fellowship with and can communicate with our loving father Jehovah the almighty God and it's this Jehovah that the psalmist says of what is man that thou art mindful of him 
or the Son of Man, that thou visitest him. What is man? Isaiah 22.22 says, Cease ye from man whose breath is in his nostrils, for wherein is he to be accounted of? One commentator said this, quote, Sorry, sickly man, a mass of mortalities, a map of miseries, a mixture or compound of dirt and sin, and yet God is mindful of him, unquote. Yeah, God is mindful of him. He's so mindful, in fact, that it says he visiteth him. He visiteth him. The word visiteth here in verse 4 means to go to inquire of their welfare. You ever have somebody that you knew, and so you go see them to see how they're doing. So God, the idea here is God goes to inquire of our welfare. To take care of or to look after anyone as a shepherd his flock. The Lord is our shepherd. And to think that God, Jehovah God, would visit man. Visit me and you. In fact, and yet the psalm, or the Proverbs, and I reference this passage often, Proverbs 8.31, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, says, Rejoicing in the habitable part of his earth, and my delights were with the sons of men. God delights. See, we would say, what is man? I mean, he, well, you consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars of our sardine, you know, and there are billions and billions of stars. Man still hasn't seen them all. The more powerful telescope he makes, the more he sees. And what would make the Lord mindful of him? It's a good question. But he visits him. Go to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. <clears throat> Verse 68. After John the Baptist was born, of course, Zachariah's tongue was loose. And he prophesied. And in Luke 1, 68, he says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people, hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he sware to our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of God, whereby the day spring on high hath visited us. God hath visited us. And, of course, John tells us in John chapter 1, and verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. God sent John. God sent John. He was a man sent from God. And he came to bear witness of that light. John, 8, or John 11 says that Jesus, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. Verse 14 says, 
And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. God visited us. God visited us. In the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, God is mindful of man. Spurgeon said that must make the devil angry. That we, made lower than him, are just dirt, a compound of dirt and water, are going to be made are minded by God and will be made higher than he. Yeah, God visited us. He visited us. And thirdly, then, God made man for a high and worthy destiny. And in that this this destiny that for which God made man is to serve the Lord and bring glory to him. And, of course, that goes along with our name, the second name here, the word Lord, which means is, which is Adonai, which means master. Master. We're here. God made us to serve him. God made us to serve him. Uh, and this really is, this is an exalted or glorified position for man. You know, we were given, we were given dominion over the earth. Look at verses 5 and 6, where it says, Thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl there, and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the seas. So, God gave to us, we were given dominion. That word dominion means cause to rule. Now, you could see, read that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, where he said in 26 he, that he was going to give man dominion over all the earth. In verse 28, he repeated that statement, and of course it's repeated here. But this is, understand, this is a delegated authority. Now, what do we mean by delegated authority? Well, a good example of delegated authority is in Luke 7. Remember the centurion whose servant was sick and he sent to Jesus and asking him to come and, and heal his servant. And so Jesus is on his, on his way. And so he sends a message to Jesus and, and uh, he says, I'm not worthy to come into my house. And this is what he says. For I am also a man set under authority. This is Luke 7, 8. I'm also a man set under authority, having under me soldiers. And I say unto one, go, and he goeth. And to another, come, and he cometh. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. So, you know, he was a man of authority, and he could give authority to those under him to do his commands. You remember in the book of Acts, when uh, Paul had been arrested in Jerusalem and taken into the castle, and, and then they, you know, the Pharisees had uh, made this, uh, agreement amongst themselves that they would not eat until they had killed him and, and his nephew come in and told the, the guard, told Paul and he, and he told the, the um, uh, I can't remember the title of the guy there at the centurion or who, what it was but anyway and so that man ordered some armed guards to deliver Paul to Caesarea 
with authority. You know, those, those men that he sent had authority to kill anyone who attempted Paul's life on that trip. That was delegated authority. And God has given us delegated authority to have dominion over the, all, all the earth. So it is to bear rule in submission to God. Sad to say, as one commentator said, quote, as the writer of Hebrews points out, it seems that this divine call and gift given to man of great dominion over the earth, whole earth, is tragically unfulfilled. Fallen man seems so weak and incapable of dominion over his own thoughts and desires, much less crowned with glory and honor, unquote. And, of course, we know that was all foiled. Genesis 3, with man sinned against God. He subjected the world unto sin and death. Romans 5.12 says that by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. Romans 8.19-22 through 22 tells us all creation was subjected to the corruption as a result. And man ever since has been trying his own, trying by his own nature to rule the earth. And bring it into dominion. Nimrod. Nebuchadnezzar. You know, I could name lots of them. Nebuchadnezzar. Cyrus. Alexander the Great. The Caesars. And of course you come up to more modern day. Hitler. Stalin. Mao. Etc. Etc. What are they seeking? Dominion. Dominion, world dominion. But go to go to Second Peter chapter two. Second Peter chapter two. In our world's full of this modern theology that these all practiced, basically. Second Peter two, verse ten says. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government, presumptuous are they, self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities, whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. But these, notice, as natural brute beasts, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they understand not and shall utterly perish in their own corruption." Natural, the word natural means they're governed by the instincts, instincts of nature. The word brute means destitute of reason, and of course beast, simply an animal. So these, like animals, you know, what's a wolf's instinct? Just kill. You know, President Trump was right when he said MS-13, they're like animals. Because they're just natural, brute beasts. Now, Nancy Pelosi, of course, says that he has denying the fact that everyone has a spark of divinity within them. You know, she's sort of like, you know, what Ronald Reagan said, it isn't that liberals are ignorant. They just know so much that isn't true. No, he, he said it rightly. They are like animals. They're destitute of reason. It shows the ignorance. And, and of course, 
That's socialism's premise. Ted Kennedy said one time, the reason socialism hasn't worked in 6,000 years is because I wasn't there to run it. You see, man, unless he understands the nature of man, cannot rightly rule in this world, period. Whether it be, whether it be in government, whether it be in church, or any organization, he can't, if, unless he understands the principles of the Bible and the nature of man, he can't rightly govern. And what we've seen for these 6,000 years is man trying to govern by him on his own. But, but God has crowned man... With dominion. Notice verses 5 and 6. It says, For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. Now, the, 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 the uh, has crowned here, again, with glory, has the idea of to receive glory or surround with, the, with a crown. Now, this, this glory is the result of our submission to the Lord, our Master. And we have to be made, to do that, we have to be made like unto babes. Notice verse 2, verse 1 and 2 again. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. So, you know, to submit to the Lord takes childlike faith. Jesus referred to that on several occasions. For example, in Matthew 18, 1 through 4, he says, At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child into him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted to become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whoso therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. When we think of little children, we think of, of, of uh, uh, submission, under submission. Of course, in our society, we don't always think that way when we look at some people's kids. But that's the way they're supposed to be. They're supposed to be under submission. And so when he says, out of the mouth and babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thy enemies, that thou mightest still the avenger, I believe this reference to the fact that we have to have childlike faith. We have to submit to our master to receive or to be crowned with glory and honor. And it's only in him, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we will receive glory. Now, Notice a little phrase here. For thou hast made him a little lower. Well, that makes it sound like, you know, the angels are up here and we're down here. And there is some truth to that. But actually, this word little, in Hebrew they says it means of a little time. Or for a little while. For a little while. Psalm 37.10 says, for yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be 
yet thou shalt diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. So uh, it, it refers to the fact that, that for a little while man is made lower. And of course, Christ was made lower than the angels for a little while. And so as we're going to be crowned, we will be crowned as we submit to our Lord. Again, Mark 10, 43 and 44 says, But so shall it not be among you, but whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. Whosoever you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. See, the way to greatness is not, is not by uh, 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 promoting yourself, but by serving others. By serving others. One commentator said, In him we have the full revelation of the greatness of man. But we have seen more than that. We have seen him crowned with glory and honor, that by the grace of God he should taste death for every man. That vision creates our confidence that man will at last realize the divine purpose. And that was... Became a Morgan. Go to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews 2 talks about this. <clears throat> Excuse me. Hebrews 2. And we're going to share. And see, we are going to be, be crowned with glory. We're going to share in the glory which Christ has brought to us and of course it, again it comes through our submission to him as our Lord and our master but Hebrews 2 9 says but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man for it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things so uh, you know everything came from him and is made by him but so by him, he says, in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all one, which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I would declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me. So, so he was the, the one who's gonna, who has brought many sons unto glory. And, of course, we're going to reshare in that glory as we submit to him in our, and through salvation. Look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Several places in the Bible talks about this sharing of his glory. Romans 8, verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. You see, it speaks. You know, Hebrews tells us that he hath made both that he hath, that uh, we are gathered together in one. He has made 
he calls us brethren. We are one in him. It's sort of like, remember in Luke chapter 5, and Jesus was preaching out of a boat. And then he says to, um, I think it was Simon, to draw eye a little bit. And it says, I think it was Simon and Andrew. And it says, for they were partners. They were partners. Uh, they were, they were uh, uh, together in that fishing endeavor. And we're going to be glorified with Christ. Go to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 5. We're still in that little time. We are still in that little time. Revelation 20, verse 5 says, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection, and the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. So he has crowned us. You know, he is he is the he is the one who has purchased for us this our redemption and is also giving us part in his glory. Like Morgan says, you can Morgan says, yeah, that vision creates our confidence that man will at last realize the divine purpose. He will now have dominion over all the earth under the lordship of Christ. So who are the greatest of all time? It's those who served. You know, it's those who serve or who submit to the divine authority that are remembered as great. Yeah, everybody remembers the name Hitler. But what does the name signify? A stigma. Nobody wants to be called a Hitler or Stalin. Nobody names their daughter Jezebel. Why? Because it's a stigma. But lots of people name their children John, Peter, Paul. Yeah. Even Barak. Yeah. Think about that one. Um, yeah, but who are remembered as the greats? Even in government. So... God has crowned us with glory and honor. He's made us, us to have dominion over the works of his hands. But think about it. God, the creator, the almighty, the master, you know, is is the one who makes the universe with his fingers. And as somebody said, he's the God that is so big that he makes the universe with his fingers. Man is so small that is dwarfed by the universe. Yet David did not doubt that God was mindful of man. He simply said, Thou art mindful of him. And only wondered. Why is God mindful of us? For 
God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. See, his delight was with the sons of men. Understand something. God loves you and cares and inquires into your being, your welfare. You know, we need to never, as his witnesses, to portray that to a lost and dying world. God does care. God does love us. But we need to submit to him and acknowledge his lordship in our lives. O Lord, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time you were tonight. Thank you for the greatness of our God. How do we describe it? How do we comprehend that you are mindful of us, sinners such as we are? Well, Lord, we thank you. And we love you because you first loved us. So, Lord, help us, encourage us, and strengthen us in our walk with you. And may we endeavor to glorify you in our daily lives. We do pray in Jesus' name.